Downloads of this show are available on Podomatic.com and the Podomatic mobile app. You are listening to Troubadours and Tours with E.W. Conundrum Demure on Radio Free Brooklyn. Welcome to episode 284 of Troubadours and Tours with yours truly, E.W. Conundrum Demure. On this week's episode, we have a conversation with actor, singer, writer, Buddhist, and all-around cool guy, Eric Swanson. And we talk about his journey as a singer, as a writer, as a man who reflects on the way we are as a species. We talk about the link between language and drama, great teachers. We talk about gay repression. And we talk about being kind. A great conversation with Eric Swanson this week. We have an EWSA titled Love is the Drug. An Uncle Cesare essay by our associate producer and resident essayist, written specifically for this episode, titled Why, Dimmy? Why? and a poem called Buddhist Logic. And as is always the case, all of this is imbued with the energy of several great tunes. It's so nice to have you with us. Let's get to it. Episode 284 of Troubadours and Rock on Tours.
love is the drug. My colleagues just gave me inside a very religious card, five certificates, each redeemable for one dozen of glazed donuts, to congratulate me on my recent wedding. A kind sentiment, I suppose. These days, probably most days since the dawn has shone on humanity, we species are moving and shaken toward progress, personal growth, the best associations and positions, kindness as a means to access and influence, acceptance, and for the image of a good person to resonate for many to witness, for a quiet personal sense that one's self is a righteous individual. Whoa, am I sounding cynical about humanity? I sort of feel that way, I must admit. My instincts are guiding me to question the impetus of most human behavior. I do wonder often what and why is behind the actions of people. My experience and my senses tell me I should almost certainly be aware. How not, though, get swallowed by the abyss of emptiness that looms when such a feeling of jaded contempt for your fellow humans takes a hold on your worldview. I am happy, though, that I am married to this woman. She is a wonderful aberration. Love is the answer, I propose.
Hello. Hello, Eric Swanson. Is that you? This is me. I don't know why it's coming on my cell phone instead of my uh, computer, but uh, we'll just deal with that. It sounds good, nonetheless. Um, it's good to have you on, on uh, Troubadours and Rock on Tours, and I'd like to share a little uh, background for the listeners, if you don't mind, before we get started with our conversation. Not at all, sir. Okay, here we go, and it's it's rather impressive. Eric Swanson trained as a classical singer from an early age. He was one of the first recipients of the prestigious Allen Award presented by the Rochester Philharmonic League to promising male vocalists. Eric worked as an acclaimed professional actor for more than 15 years, appearing on Broadway and off-Broadway. He has performed at the Manhattan Theater Club, Theater for a New Audience, Yale Repertory Theater, Long Wharf Theater, Hartford Stage, Berkeley Repertory Theater, the Repertory Theater of St. Louis, and Cleveland Playhouse. Film credits include Under Heat, starring Lee Grant and Edie and Penn with Stockard Channing and Scott Glenn. He also appeared on television in the PBS miniseries Concealed Enemies and the acclaimed public television children's series Ghost Rider. Eric began his career as a writer in 1990 with the publication of his first novel, The Greenhouse Effect. His second novel, The Boy in the Lake, and a New York Times book review, New and Noteworthy Novel. Excuse me. After formally adopting Buddhism in 1995, Eric co-authored a history of the Karma Kagyu lineage of Tibetan Buddhism, Karmapa. The Sacred Prophecy in 1999. His second book on Buddhism, What the Lotus Said, St. Martin's Press, 2002, is a graphic description of his journey to Tibet as a member of a volunteer team that developed schools and medical clinics in rural areas occupied predominantly by nomadic populations. Eric co-authored the New York Times bestseller, The Joy of Living, Unlocking the Great, The Secret and Science of Happiness. In 2007, Harmony Books, with world-renowned Buddhist teacher Yonge Mingyur Rinpoche, a practical exploration of Tibetan Buddhist philosophy and practices, as well as its follow-up edition, Joyful Wisdom, Embracing Change and Finding Freedom, in 2008. The list goes on. The Buddhism books uh, and the the folks that you have worked with in that regard are astounding. Some of the, the most predominant uh, Buddhist masters uh, in the world, it seems. And, uh, and also uh, a great Western education from Yale College, as well as uh, some time at Juilliard. Ladies and gentlemen, it is our pleasure to have on Troubadours and Rock on Tours, Eric Swanson. Well, golly, you make me sound a lot more important than I feel <laughs> every day when I wake up and face the day of work. <laughs> That's a good thing. That's a good thing. You have modesty. It's it's uh, it's nice to to uh, to hear that you you're so sort of uh, diverse in your approach to life. And I think we're going to have a fascinating conversation. I like to start with your journey. You know, you're you've been a singer, an actor, a writer. You're a Buddhist. Um, you're getting into being a librettist now as well. How, how did uh, how did this start? How did you get where you are? Well, golly, um, I guess it all started. Um, well, first of all, I really have to say it all started with my mother, <laughs> whom I honor just so completely. Um, many years ago, um, 
a couple of years after I was born in <clears throat> she read an article in uh, the Reader's Digest about teaching children how to read. And um, it involved placing signs uh, with the words, you know, printed out on them on various things like, you know, chair, uh, table, uh uh, um, you know, uh, window. Uh, so it, even before I entered kindergarten, I was able to read. Um, and in first grade, uh, apparently I was uh, a little bit more advanced than some of the others. And they threw me into uh, a sixth grade French class Um so uh, my interest in uh, foreign languages and reading, you know, and writing just began then. Then in high school, um, you know, I was really fortunate in having a lot of, um, you know, teachers who were, you know, fairly, you know, fairly young, um, you know, recent graduates and they encouraged both my writing, uh, my study of languages, and especially I, uh, uh, my singing uh, under um, uh, just a master teacher called Ralph Sicchino. And then uh, uh, I, I learned the rudiments of, of acting under, uh, you know, an English teacher was assigned to, you know, head the, the drama club and teach drama classes uh, called Terence Brennan. And there I began my love of both writing and performing in various ways. And do you think there's a link there? Do you think there's a link between the language and the, and the, uh, the drama, the performing? Uh, oh, absolutely. Because, um, uh, you know, both... Uh, uh, you know, in in writing, whether you're writing fiction or nonfiction, you're assuming um, like a different role. You're taking on a different voice. You're becoming a different persona. Um, and the same is true in acting. Makes sense. Um, yeah, yeah. Well, it took me a long time to make sense of that. It was like, oh, right, there's a connection. Got it. <laughs> you know? mm. But in, um, when, I, when I was in college, you know, a lot of my, uh, you know, although I had just extraordinary um, uh, acting teachers, like... Uh, Nico Sagaropoulos, who used to head, you know, the Williamstown Theater Festival, oh, and Lynn yeah. Meadow, who is the head of Manhattan Theater Club. Wow. Uh, and uh, Kristen Linkletter, who was uh, kind of foundational in, in a new approach to, to um, developing and expressing oneself vocally. Um, and then... But a lot of my teachers, you know, especially in the uh, in in the English department, said, oh, "Don't 
don't act. You're, 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 you know, right, right, right. You know, there's, you know, you just, you know, you write. Well, here I'm going to pass on a compliment that I never believe when I'm writing a first draft. Um, is, you know, you write so well, you know, so I was torn for many years because my first love really was, was, uh, was performing. Um, so when I got to the Juilliard, you know, I got, when it came time to, uh, to think about the next phase of my life as I was ending my graduate and my undergraduate education, I, uh, I applied to um, the Juilliard School and by some sort of miracle, I can only think, I got in. I mean, there are like hundreds of applicants every year. And there again, there were some extraordinary teachers I worked with, um, you know, uh, among them, you know, uh, our dearly depressed Marion Seldes and uh, just just so many so many great teachers who actually were working in the profession. So they brought their own professional experience and expertise to their teaching. Um, so you know, I was I was, and then I was very fortunate and being hired. Um, or being acquired, I don't know how you how one actually puts that um, um, by uh, a prestigious agency, um, APA, um, and worked for pretty solidly as an actor for fifteen years, um, supplementing the in between times with a lot of. Um, a lot of uh, temp work, which kind of exposed me because I'd been living in this sort of like rarefied world of, you know, artists and performers. Yeah. And, you know, here I was actually mingling with and working alongside, you know, people who were actually going to performances and reading books, you know, and it was like, that was like a wake up call. It was like, wow, what are people really interested in? What, what, do, what really moves them? Um, and so I found myself very fortunate in that respect. Um, and, uh, you know, around my mid thirties, uh, early thirties, actually, um, I was reaching that age, which back then was, you know, you know, sort of like, mm, not an ingenue, but not old enough to be a character actor. Mm -hmm. uh, and I was getting tired of, um, of people telling me when uh, I could create. Uh, and so... Uh, one of my very, very best friends at that point, um, who was a subrights um, uh, 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 professional at, at a publishing house, encouraged me to write a novel. And 
I sat down with an ancient machine, which is no longer <laughs> available, called Centrex, where you actually had to put in a five and a half inch floppy disk in one slot for the operating system and a five and a half inch floppy disk for the document. And I wrote my first novel, well, that's, uh, that's, The Greenhouse yeah. Effect, wow. which wow. was occurring um, during, you know, I mean, long before global warming or climate change was even, you know, a topic of discussion or controversy. It was back in the uh, eight, late, late 80s, right? Yeah, it was 1989, and temperatures were climbing to like 104. And what I saw was that, um, uh, and what I was writing, tried to achieve in that book, you know, even though it was like my first outing, was to draw a parallel between the ways in which we respond to personal experiences, personal trauma, um, in this, uh, by repeating the same mistakes or, or creating solutions that only exacerbated um, the problem. And I was looking at a few articles that were being then published saying things like, you know, air conditioners at that time uh, and others were were contributing to this, you know, heat wave. And I thought, there's a parallel here. This is a this is a way of of human behavior that is acting out not only in our personal lives but in the interconnected uh, environmental lives that we all share. Right. Uh, and I was again just extremely fortunate because it was rare uh, for a first time. This was long before self-publishing uh, came along. Um, I was very fortunate to, you know, have, you know, get an edit, uh, an agent through my friend who'd worked at Subrights and uh, the, the greenhouse effect was sold to Little Brown. Nice. and translated nice. into several languages um and so i was like hmm this writing thing is pretty good <laughs> <laughs> yes still took me a couple more years to finally let go of you know acting um but i did and then began to devote myself much more full-time to writing um in which i took on, um, again, uh, 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 a, uh, a subject before its time, which was, um, you know, gay homophobia, the, the reluctance to come out, um, and, you know, the violence that is perpetrated. Um, uh, you know, uh, so... Are you talking about uh, a gay, gay on gay violence, or someone who's repressed, uh, taking it out on someone who's trying to come out? Well, actually, um, 
It's about how the re- how one's repression actually enabled or enables the violence that is perpetrated. And how how do you how do you see it as? Well, uh, I mean, we've seen this in the major changes that have happened across you know at least the last decade or so. You know, as more and more people have you know gone public uh, we, we've seen major changes in this country in terms of you know non-discrimination in terms of you know i mean the 2015 supreme court decision allowing for marriage between uh same-sex people finally made me a citizen of the country in which i was born and raised because yeah. before then I did not have full citizenship rights. That's correct. I agree. Yeah. A good way of putting um, it. And, you know, I just feel that, you know, even back then, I hope that, you know, that contribution helped a little bit. The boy in the lake we're talking about. Yes. And, yeah, the New York Times, again, they they liked it. They said it was a new and no, no I have trouble with this word today, new and noteworthy novel. Yep. Yeah. Yep. That must yeah, have... Yeah, pleased by that. Yeah, who wouldn't be? As you can imagine. <laughs> Did you get any pushback from, uh, from more of the backward uh, segments of our society? No, not at all. But, um... It did begin, and this is perhaps where one of my deeper, uh, you know, explorations of different religious traditions came from, is that um, in the early 90s, I decided, you know what, a lot of the violence is being perpetrated based, well, no, I mean, the violence, I believe, is, is tribalistic and probably goes back beyond recorded history. But um, a lot of it, at least in the U.S., is attributed to this book called, which many people refer to as the Bible. Um, So I decided to read it from cover to cover using some great translations um, of both the... um, what is called the Old Testament, uh, which is a mistranslation. It's really the old contract. Um, uh, uh, In the the version that is used uh, in Judaism, called the Tanakh, T-A-N-A-K-H, in which the books are ordered a little bit differently than they are in what... um, it is used um, in other editions that include the new contract or the New Testament. Um, and then I read, you know, a, a great new translation of the new contract uh, alongside uh, uh, literary, historical, archaeological, and anthropological studies and began to understand, okay, I can see how this developed, and I can see how, you know, various omissions, et cetera, you know, could lead to various um, 
different interpretations. So it's, um, it's another bad history book, basically. You are listening to Troubadours and Tours with E.W. Conundrum Demure on Radio Free Brooklyn. I wouldn't say it's a bad history book. I would say it is... Um, uh, no, I would definitely say it's not a bad history book at all. Um, I would say that it is slightly misunderstood because um, both sections are essentially contract laws with a lot of amicus briefs attached to them in these marvelous, some of the marvelous stories um, in the first contract um, and in the letters and various urgings uh, in the second contract. What did surprise me is is that um, uh, um, that the New Testament or the New Contract was uh, written in Greek. I mean, we all know that it, you know that the first four books were written 140 years after the passing of uh, the person whose teachings were 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 um, who that passes it on but um you know reading reading it in context i understood that um a lot of how it's kind of played out or as this um uh, in in films and and documentaries as you know a a a teaching that's spread amongst the poor and the untrodden the fact that it was written in Greek points to the fact that it was actually uh, directed toward the educated class, because in Rome, um, the the educated class spoke Greek, much as in the uh, old Russian court, um, the language was French. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So it gave me a little bit of a different perspective, you know, and it was informed also because, you know, both, uh, you know, both, both the old and the new were, I mean, their, their, their roots, um, are in Egypt, um, which, you know, if I look at a map is actually part of Africa and people keep saying it's a, Middle Eastern country. Right. Anyway, that's kind of beside the point. It just it was uh, the beginning of my exploration of the roots of um, of of uh, religious upbringing I was brought up in because uh, Christianity mo- basically Christianity. Most of my family was Catholic, mm-hmm. and then when my mom we moved to a different parish, um, my mom used to say. And this is when I was very young. Um, I can guess what she was alluding to now, but uh, she said the priest was asking her a lot of questions that she didn't think were appropriate. So she marched us across the street to the Presbyterian Church, while the rest of uh, you know her extended family remained Catholic. So I had both influences growing up, um, and. and- I was, uh, you know, 
kind of like torn between the different representations, it began when I was old enough to actually start thinking about these things, to start wondering, hmm, okay, what's going on here? And now, do you find yourself uh, a Christian still? Well, I think that there are a lot of values that are shared between um, Christianity, Buddhism, uh, and Islam. Um, and in society at large, uh, as a friend of mine recently pointed out, that you know that there are certain mores that may be um, uh, 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 what's the phrase um, more more valued more understood by the exception than the rule. Yeah. But certain things like the golden rule, treat each other, treat people as you would be treated, treat others as you would be treated. I think that is a basis of all of the three major African religions. And those being Christianity, Judaism, Judaism and Islam. And Islam, yeah. And now Buddhism, we, we only, believe it or not... Eric Swanson here on Troubadours and Rock on Tours. We we only have like five minutes left. Let's let's get to Buddhism because again you're you're pretty steeped in Buddhism now. You're a, a very a highly regarded author uh, in in that realm. So tell us about what Buddhism is to you. Yeah, well, I mean, it, you know, it was part of a long search for a, you know a, a, a spiritual and practical path that uh, made sense to me. And, you know, I went through various phases and finally found my way into Tibetan Buddhism and studied, you know, with a Lama for uh, many years. And, you know, after two years um, of working with him, my first two years, he brought me to Tibet, where I actually, you know, was able to um, see it being practiced firsthand, um, see the, uh, you know, uh, you know, just, just, just see where, you know, the seeds of, of, of Tibetan Buddhism were, were planted and how they are still growing. And, um, it was while working with this Lama who kept inviting, you know, Lamas, other Lamas to come and give teachings that I met, uh, Minja Rinpoche. And, um, and then, uh, you know, at a seminar he was giving in New York City, it was announced that uh, he he um, he was looking for an editor for his first book, and people would, you know, they were asking for names. And um, uh, uh, um, the friend I was with, you know, I was reluctant, but the friend I, who came with me said, "Look, you, you've been to Tibet, you speak Tibetan, you know, you've written books, give your name." And I did, and you know, months passed, and 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 then uh, right after I was downsized from a marketing job, uh, I mean, like really within a week, I received a call from their foundation saying, "Would you like to meet with Minjur and Pache?" And off began this great partnership that you know has taken me traveling with him and being close to him in ways that are very much similar to the ways that uh, 
in the olden days, uh, llamas worked with students, like on a one-on-one basis. I really had an opportunity that many people do not have uh, to be able to sit and 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 in his presence ask the most ridiculous questions over and over again, which he patiently answered, um, and also then had a chance, you know, because you know he he wanted to. Um, he was asked by his own lama, his master, to write a book on science, which also gave me an opportunity to work with some of the great neuroscientists of our era, including um, Richie Davidson, uh, you know, who's still doing, you know, fantastic work studying the the the, um, the effects of meditation on various systems in the brain and in the body. So and with physicists, you know, which oh boy, was that an education? Hmm. So, um, so, but that really, I mean, working so closely with Minjir Rinpoche and then with his brother Chokni Rinpoche um, on, on our book together, um, um, open heart, open mind, uh, just like further, further, you know, just developed my 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 how the way it just influences everything the way i i think and the way i do you know it's like standing in a long grocery line instead of like you know you know cursing you know i just think about okay this person may have you know or these people in front of me may have a parent who's who's in or a child who's in medical danger or whatever you know and that's you know so it just gives you a just a just shift in perspective and how the way you experience or the how way I experience um, just everyday being in this world toward a more compassionate and open-minded um, outlook. I think that's a good place to to leave it. For now, Eric Swanson, I would love to talk to you. I have so many questions to ask, but we're, our, our time uh, is just about done this go around. Uh, if someone wants to get in touch uh, in some way to find out what you're doing, is there some uh, social uh, media information or what have you you'd like to share? Um, yes. In in the meantime, um, I'm I'm setting up a new website. Uh, it's uh, uh, but the uh, the address is. Um, Eric E R I C at Eric Swanson one word hyphen author dot com. Wonderful and in one word, give give us some insight, all the listeners. Um, well, it comes from my grandmother, actually. Um, be kind. I love it. Thank you. Thank you so much for talking with us on Troubadours and Rock and Tours. I hope to talk with you again. I hope so, too. Thank you very much. Bye. Bye. Stash of coca candy straight from.
from Japan Hologram and she was ever at the end Think you know what I need to get by Something for your mind Exorcist opened in our depressed former coal town. The theater management issued air sickness bags, barf bags, to overly sensitive moviegoers. The gesture was both an acknowledgement of the gruesome antics upon the screen, most tame by today's standards, and a throwback to the come-ons of wily producers who tried to lure 1950s audiences from their living room chairs with 3D and tingling seats and smell rama But the most enticing factor for our town was the exorcist himself, the conflicted and doubting Jesuit Father Damien Karras, played by our hometown hero, Jason Miller. It was a banner year for him and an unrepeatable high point in his life and career. A playwright as well as an actor, he won a Pulitzer Prize for his play that championship season, about a sad group of stunted losers celebrating a long-ago and tainted triumph, which takes place in our valley. And he was nominated for an Oscar for his performance in the movie. He lost Best Supporting Actor to John Houseman in The Paper Chase. Pauline Kael, in her review, sniffed that Miller had too much John Garfield in his performance. Garfield was a brooding presence in classic mid-century cinema. He played the drifter duped into murder by Lana Turner in The Postman Always Rings Twice, and he was a victim of the blacklist. It's that very Garfieldian broodiness that I love in Miller's portrayal of Father Karras. 
The Exorcist was infamous at the time, and famous still in horror movie history, for its set pieces and special effects. Cutting edge at the time, and almost quaint and DIY looking in the digital age. Linda Blair's head turning 360 degrees. The message appearing in elevated writing on the possessed girl's flesh. Help me. The shaking bed. The green vomit endlessly spewing from her mouth onto the exorcist's stole. It was shocking for its sensational blasphemy. Bloody masturbation with a crucifix. And its language. The devil has a foul mouth and he informs Father Karras that his mother performs fellatio in the netherworld, or words to that effect. For me, Father Karras's poor, misused mother is the most memorable and touching character in the movie. Father Karras, a psychiatrist and professor at Georgetown, was once a poor boy, and in an early scene in the movie, before the intense devil action gets underway, he visits his old and ailing mother in her tenement apartment in New York City. He tenderly cares for her and leaves her sleeping, the radio her only company. She gets sicker and weaker and eventually is committed to a horrible state-run nursing home. Karis complains of her situation to his uncle and the uncle reproaches him for squandering his intelligence and his fancy education for the life of a poor priest and for not being able to afford a better place for his mother. When Karis visits her, he finds her strapped in, into a bed like a figure out of Bedlam. She too reproaches him. Why did you do this to me? And making it, making it even more exquisitely painful... She uses an affectionate diminutive for her son's name. Why, Dimmy? Why? Those three words are worse, more horrifying and bone-chilling, than anything the devil spews. And in fact, the devil cleverly deploys Karras's mother in his confrontation with him. The devil gets inside the Jesuit's head, and he speaks in the mother's voice to reproach him yet again driving the exorcist mad with grief and guilt. In one brilliant edit, the mother appears in a flash on the bed instead of the possessed little girl. Why, Dimmy, why? The devil mimics. Gallons of green vomit, pea soup, reportedly, are nothing next to the pain of knowing that you failed to love and protect your mother. Guilt, of course, doesn't have to arise from such drama, or a showdown with the demon. It doesn't even have to have a basis in fact or actual events. It can lurk behind the simplest or most ordinary memories, spun around in your head years afterwards. Thankfully, my mother died before she could be warehoused in a nursing home. And although educated by Jesuits, I never wrestled with the devil. However, memories still sing, still sting, reading a book or a paper, say, rather than listening to a familiar litany of complaints, a silly argument over an inattentive waitress at a seafood restaurant, banal moments that somehow play in the mind as vividly as the image of Damien's mother 
strapped to her institutional bed. After all my love, why aren't you better? Why? By all accounts, Jason Miller was a good son, if an absent and distant father. But I'm sure he struggled as much as his famous character, as much as all of us, with guilt and self-recriminations and second-guessings over thoughtlessness and ordinary cruelties and failures to love. When it comes to the human heart, the devil doesn't know the half of it. Buddhist logic 
in the moment are you calculating do you hear me thinking and breathing Om. So 284 of Troubadours and Tours, with yours truly, E.W. Conundrum Demure. This week, we like to thank those folks who made this episode possible. First and foremost, actor, writer, librettist, Buddhist, and singer, Eric Swanson, and our associate producer and resident essayist, Dr. Michael Pavis as well as these musical artists. Stefan Grappelli, Django Reinhardt, Radiohead, Del Shannon, Super Organism, Glenn Miller, The Heartless Bastards, Terrence Blanchard and Brantford Marsalis too. Thank you so much for listening. Until next week, enjoy this one. Take care. <laughs>